Welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. I want to begin this morning with a uh, wonderful story entitled The Announcing Tool, written about 22 years ago by Rabbi Mark Gelman. A long time ago, when all the people lived in one place, getting the news was easy. They had yellers then, who would walk around town, and after a few minutes of yelling, everyone got the news. But when people began living all over the place, even the yellers couldn't yell loud enough to get the news around. Mostly, people just didn't get the news. But some special times just had to be announced, and the arrival of a new year was one of those times. So God asked Enoch to go find an announcing tool. The next day, Enoch returned with two rocks. Oh God, listen to my fine announcing tool, said Enoch, who banged the two rocks together, making a loud rock-banging sound. God said to Enoch, what kind of announcing tool is this to tell of the arrival of the new year? Rocks don't make music, they only make noise. The new year is a time for music and singing, not banging and yelling. So Enoch ran off to find another tool. The next day, Enoch returned with a gong. Listen to this one, shouted Enoch as he gonged the gong, making lots of gonging sounds until God said, Stop! What kind of announcing tool is this to announce the arrival of the new year? The gong does make a strong sound, but the gong is made of iron, and iron is used to make swords and spears and arrows and other weapons of war. The new year is a time of peace, not war. <clears throat> so Enoch ran off to find a new announcing tool. The next day, Enoch returned with a harp. God, he said, this one is a winner, as he strummed some lovely harp sounds that filled the air. Close, said God. Very close, but not close enough. The harp is a lovely instrument. It is not noisy. It is not made of iron, but it is too soft and too fine for an announcing tool. The new year is a time of loud rejoicing. We need an announcing tool that will carry the news from hilltop to hilltop around the world. So Enoch, go try again. The next day, Enoch returned with a golden trumpet in his hand and announced to God, what you see here, God, is the perfect announcing tool. It makes music, not noise. It's not made of iron and it's loud enough to carry the news of the new year from hilltop to hilltop. Enoch then blew some notes on his golden trumpet. God said, the golden trumpet is a good announcing tool. And Enoch jumped up and down with joy until God continued, good, but not good enough. 
The golden trumpet makes loud, beautiful music, and it is not made of iron. But it is made by somebody who pounded it and rolled it and shaped it. I want an announcing tool that is not shaped by people. I want an announcing tool that is not made of gold. Prices are going to go up. Nobody could afford such an announcing tool. Enoch was getting depressed. But he ran off one more time to hunt down another announcing tool. The next day, Enoch was late in coming to God. When he did arrive, he was out of breath. <sighs> I am embarrassed, God, to show you my new announcing tool. It's only this ram's horn, not nearly as sweet as the harp or as beautiful as the golden trumpet, but it's not made of iron. And nobody pounded it or shaped it except the ram. I even think it's loud enough to get the news from hilltop to hilltop, but I'm not sure if it is good enough to be your announcing tool. Why are you not sure, asked God. Enoch replied, well, you see, O Holy One, blessed be you. I have been practicing with this thing all morning, and it is ever so hard to blow. Sometimes I blow and blow, and I get a peep, or a pift, or a shriek, and then maybe another pift. God spoke to Enoch with great love. Enoch, you have done very well. The ram's horn is a perfect, perfect announcing tool. It is natural and loud, and it can make beautiful sounds. I know it's hard to play, but that is just right. The new year is hard, too. It's a time for deciding to do good things and give up bad things. Enoch. Enoch. The new year is a time for apologizing to others for hurting them in any way. And all that is very, very hard to do, even harder than blowing the ram's horn. Then God set Enoch down and taught him how to blow the ram's horn for the big celebration of the new year that was soon to begin. By the end of one lesson from God, Enoch could blow the ram's horn without a peep a pift, or a skeek. A wonderful story. It shares with you about the announcing instrument that Jews throughout the world will hear on Rosh Hashanah, the new year. And so I want to spend the time this morning speaking about this announcing tool. In Hebrew, the ram's horn that we use on Rosh Hashanah and other occasions is known as the shofar. 
The shofar is an instrument made from the horn of a ram or any other kosher animal. It was used in ancient Israel to announce the new moon, called in Hebrew Rosh Chodesh, and called to people together for special events. It was also blown on Rosh Hashanah, marking the beginning of the new Hebrew year, signifying both the need to wake up to the call of repentance and in connection with the Torah portion read on the second day of Rosh Hashanah, the binding of Isaac, Genesis chapter 22, in which Abraham sacrifices a ram in place of his son Isaac. Today, the shofar is featured most prominently on Rosh Hashanah morning services. It is commandment to hear the shofar blown. There is a great deal of symbolism tied with the legal requirements for what constitutes a proper shofar. The shofar of Rosh Hashanah, whose purpose it is to rouse the divine and the listener, may not be constructed of an artificial instrument. It must be an instrument in its natural form and it's naturally hollow, through whom the sound is produced by human breath, which God breathes into human beings. This pure and natural sound symbolizes the life it calls Jews to lead. What is more, the most desirable shofar is the bent horn of a ram. The ram reminds one of Abraham's willing sacrifice of that which was most precious to him, his son Abraham. The curve in the horn mirrors the contrition of one who repents. You know, the shofar is blown on Rosh Hashanah morning in the service, and then at the very last moment of Yom Kippur, the day of repentance 10 days later. I want to share with you some more about the shofar. The shofar is mentioned frequently in the Hebrew Bible, the Talmud, and rabbinic literature. The blast of a shofar emanating from the thick cloud on Mount Sinai made the Israelites tremble in awe. You may remember that from Exodus 19, verse 16. The shofar was used to announce holidays, the Jubilee year, the first day of the seventh month, Tishrei, which is the month that we're right in now, is termed in the Torah, a memorial of blowing, or a day of blowing the shofar. It is the only biblical mention of the holiday that turns out to be called Rosh Hashanah. They were used for signifying the start of a war. Later, it was employed in processions as musical instrument, and eventually, it was inserted into the temple orchestra by King David. Please note that the trumpets described in number 10, Numbers 10, are a different instrument. Described by the Hebrew word trumpet, hashoshorah, not the word for shofar, shofar. 
The Torah describes the first day of the seventh month, the first of Tishrei, as Zikron Teruah, a memorial of blowing. That's how it's referred to in Leviticus 23, 24. And Yom Teruah, the day of blowing, as it's referred to in number 29. This was interpreted by the later rabbinic sages as referring to the sounding of the shofar, and as you'll note, the shofar itself was not mentioned. In the temple in Jerusalem, the shofar was sometimes used together with the trumpet. On the New Year's Day, the principal ceremony was conducted with the shofar, which instrument was placed in the center with a trumpet on either side. It was the horn of a wild goat and straight in shape, being ornamented with gold at the mouthpiece. On fast days, the principal ceremony was conducted with the trumpets in the center and with a shofar on either side. On those occasions, the shofarot, plural for shofar, were ram's horns curved in shape and ornamented with silver in the mouthpiece. On Yom Kippur of the Jubilee year, on the 50th year, the ceremony was performed with the shofar as on New Year's Day. On Rosh Hashanah and other full holidays like Yom Kippur, Sukkot, Passover, and Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, or as sometimes it's known as Pentecost, a single priest perfected two sacrifices in honor of the full holiday. On Rosh Hashanah, something special occurred during the special sacrifice. Arguably, two shofar sounders played the long notes, and one trumpet player played the short note. Accordingly, Rosh Hashanah is called Yom Teruah, the day of the blast. Otherwise, the trumpets had top billing. As the Talmud of Rosh Hashanah says, said Rabbah, or it may have been Rabbi Yehoshua ben Levi. What is the scriptural support for this? Because it is written in scripture, with trumpets and the sound of the shofar, shout ye before the king in the temple, we require trumpets and the sound of the shofar on that day, but not elsewhere. Indeed, on Yom Kippur, the shofar was sounded to announce the jubilee, Shofar was first indicated in Yovel in Leviticus 25, 8 through 13. Indeed, again in the Talmud of Rosh Hashanah, the sages ask why the shofar sounded on Jubilee year. Further support is found in Rosh Hashanah 29, indicating the sound of the shofars and the trumpets. On the Jubilee year, the Talmud is clear, only the shofar blast. The rabbis complete created the practice of shofar sounding every Yom Kippur in place of the Jubilee year, which was no longer in effect once the Jews had been exiled from the land of Israel. At the inception of the diaspora, during the short-lived ban on playing musical instruments, the shofar was enhanced in its use as a sign of mourning for the destruction of the temple. The declaration of the band's source was in fact set to music itself as the lamentation Al-Naharot Balvel within a few centuries of the ban. 
It's interesting to note that a full orchestra played in the temple, and the ban was so that this would not be taken for granted. Hence the wording of the ban, if I forget thee, O Jerusalem, over my chiefest joy. The so far is, as I indicated, primarily associated with Rosh Hashanah. In the Mishnah, the book of early rabbinic laws derived from the Torah, a discussion centers on the primacy of the shofar in the time before the destruction of the second temple in 70 AD. Indeed, the shofar was the center of the ceremony, as you've already heard, with two silver trumpets playing a lesser role. And you've already heard that on other holidays, the two silver trumpets were featured and one shofar was played a lesser role. Jewish law rules that the shofar may not be sounded on Shabbat due to the potential that the shofar sounder may inadvertently carry it or fix it, which is in a class of forbidden Shabbat work. The historical explanation is that in ancient Israel, the shofar was sounded on Shabbat in the temple located in Jerusalem. After the temple's destruction, the sounding of the shofar on Shabbat was restricted to the place where the great Sanhedrin was located. However, when the Sanhedrin ceased to exist, the sounding of the shofar on Shabbat was discontinued. There are many other interesting historical dynamics about the shofar, but the sounding of the shofar is also filled with spiritual understandings. You know, the shofar is mentioned 72 times in the Tanakh in various contexts and functions. And each of them leads to some special understanding of why our Jewish tradition commands us to blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah, even when it's not clear from the Torah. So while every commandment is essentially super-rational, performed solely because it is the will and the command of the Creator, the rabbinic sages have found meaning and messages behind the commandments we fill. That is, imposing a spiritual nature upon the commandments. And so, according to many traditional Jews, there are 11 reasons given for blowing the shofar on Rosh Hashanah. Let me share them with you this morning. Number one, the return of the king. On Rosh Hashanah, the anniversary of creation, God renews the creative energy that sustains our world. Once more, he is crowned as king of the universe. And in fact, the liturgy, the prayers of the Moxor, the High Holiday Prayer Book, are changed very often to reflect that. We change many times in the prayer book the word God for king. So God is crowned on Rosh Hashanah as king of the universe. And just as trumpets are sounded at the coronation, the shofar continues God's continued kingship. One of the primary prayers on Rosh Hashanah is Avinu Malkeinu, our father, our king. 
the great alarm clock. On Rosh Hashanah, the first of the 10 days of repentance between Rosh Hashanah and the end of Yom Kippur, we awake from our spiritual slumber. The shofar is like an alarm that calls on us to examine our deeds and correct our ways as we perform tshuva, a return to God. Number three, the reminder. The shofar was blown at Mount Sinai when the Torah was given. On Rosh Hashanah, we blow the shofar to remind us to rededicate ourselves to Torah study and to remind God of our original commitment and sincerity. Number four, the voice. The shofar reminds us of the voice of the prophets, who, like the blast of the shofar, called upon us to correct our ways, follow God's commandments, and act properly with others. Tears. The shofar's cry reminds us of the cries and tears shed for the destruction of the Holy Temple in Jerusalem, galvanizing us to an understanding of the future building of the temple as a messianic goal. Sacrifice. The shofar made of a ram's horn reminds us of the binding of Isaac and the ram God provided as the sacrifice in its place. By blowing the shofar, we remember the faith of the patriarchs and our own capacity for self-sacrifice. The awesome. The shofar fills us with awe and humility as we contemplate the true infinitude of God and how God fills all space and time. Number eight, according to the rabbis, was introspection. The shofar will be blown on the day of judgment when the Messiah comes. We thus blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah to remind us to examine our deeds and contemplate how best we can improve them in hopes of being God's hands and heart on earth and helping God with the coming of the Messiah. Number nine, the celebration. The Sofar blast will signal the return of the Jewish people in the Messianic age. We blow the Shofar on Rosh Hashanah to remind us of God's salvation in our own lives. 10. The Shofar blasts when the Messiah comes will herald a time of universal understanding and recognition of God's oneness. We blow the Shofar on Rosh Hashanah to remind us of God's unity. And lastly, number 11, the shofar on Rosh Hashanah reminds us of the primordial screen, the eternal voiceless call of the soul expressing its desire to return to its creator. So from all of those, you can hear that the shofar is intended to not simply be a call to arms or an announcing tool, but it is intended to raise us up, to challenge us, to look within ourselves and look to the future. It is more than just a sound and an acknowledgement. It's a clarion call. Now, on Rosh Hashanah, in many synagogues, Uh, what should we say? 
there are between 30 and 100 sounds of the shofar in one morning. There are different customs as to how many times a shofar is blown on Rosh Hashanah. In more orthodox congregations, the sounding of the shofar probably reaches a hundred. In more liberal congregations, the sounding of the shofar probably is between 30 and 50. So, we have three sounds. The teruah is a broken blast which resembles a cry. This commandment is repeated in three different places. The Talmud understands this repetition to imply that we must hear three teruahs. The Talmud also derives from another scriptural verse that the teruah must have a simple unbroken blast called a tekiah before and after it. Thus, the Torah requires at least nine blasts. Tekiah, teruah, tekiah, tekiah, teruah, tekiah, tekiah, teruah, tekiah. The problem, even with my voice, is that the word teruah can have multiple meanings. The Talmud tells us that there are three possibilities. It can mean several extremely short blasts. Similar to how one would moan when um, he has great worries. A third possibility is that the Torah, is that Truah, the Torah mentions, is both a moan and a celebration. Today, the moan-like sound is known as shavarim, and the eulation is the tekiah. To make sure that we understand God's commandments, we blow all the different possible teruahs with the tekiah before and after each one in the following order. Tekiah, teruah, in the mournful cry, and then tekiah, and then we repeat that, and then we do tekiah to the moaning, one last blast. By blowing these 30 blasts, we fulfill our scriptural understanding of this obligation. Now, having heard all of that, let me then conclude about the most powerful thing about the shofar. On Rosh Hashanah morning, in every synagogue, there are children who rush into the sanctuary from wherever they have been to listen to the blowing of the shofar. Whether the shofar blows a hundred times or thirty times, it is bound to mystify the children and at the last sound of the shofar, which is called Tekiah Gedola, the person charged with blowing the shofar does the Tekiah for as long as his or her breath lasts, 
reminding us as we leave the sanctuary on Rosh Hashanah that we will return in 10 days for Yom Kippur and that we should hear the sound of the shofar, however we understand its meaning, ringing in our ears for those 10 days. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten, wishing you Shana Tova, a Happy New Year, and a good day. Shalom. Shalom.